If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We try to get the sensors to cover as much of the useful field of view as possible so that people are getting information about obstacles in front of them, but not too much information. I truly believe that innovation is about making a difference. For Dr. Nathan Deutsch, co-founder of Lugano-based startup Lighthouse Tech, that difference involves creating something both great-looking and functional. Nathan is Lighthouse Tech's Chief Operating Officer and Innovation Lead, and he's going to be showcasing his company's smart eyewear for the visually impaired at CES 2024 in Las Vegas. While increasing mobility for people with vision impairment, Lighthouse Tech's first-generation eyewear frame, the LTHO1, is also smart in its appearance. Nathan, before we get to talking about Lighthouse Tech, how cool is this? I would love to know a little bit more about you. Your LinkedIn profile says that you are all about human-centered design and technology. How did that passion first start in your life? What first inspired you? I would have to say that started during my doctorate studies. So although before embarking on the PhD, I tinkered around, I would say, there was nothing really serious about it. The PhD was really about human-centered design of processes rather than products. So it's a little bit of a different kind of take on the design and creativity side of things. But but combined with, with sort of a more technical side, actually, technically during COVID, I got my first electronics set for my daughter to start to learn something about electronics. And before I know it, I was coding. So this is sort of a bit of a a later in life kind of process. But nonetheless, it's the kind of thing that, you know, I guess you're never too old to take on new things. Nathan explained the innovation he's going to be showcasing at CES. We make eyewear with sensors that face forward that reveal obstacles in the upper body zone. So why is that important? It's because blind people already use a tried and trusted mobility device or mobility aid, whether that's the white cane or the guide dog. We've had blind people tell us that they don't want to abandon or replace these aids. And that's really important to remember. There's a complementarity. So our device, we don't try to reveal everything in front of the user. That's okay, and it actually works out to our advantage because we reduce the amount of complexity we have to deal with, and we can miniaturize everything into an eyewear frame. In fact, I was impressed to see your video because if I didn't know that you have a USB drive in the shaft of this, I would not know that. You have this really cleverly hidden. I like that a lot. Would you tell me the story of Lighthouse Tech, please? How did that come about? Sure. So for me, obviously, it was a bit of a leap a jump, a uh, leap of faith, I suppose. Um, but for Lighthouse, Lighthouse Tech is a company that was founded by people in the eyewear industry who had been around eyewear all their lives. And we're talking multiple decades of combined experience in terms of the co-founders. I myself am a late co-founder. So I came in and brought my 
design perspective in. But in fact, the ideation phase is before my time. So if we reach back before COVID, so before all of this sort of social isolating happened, the founders began to talk to people about integration of technology and eyewear frames with a social purpose. So they weren't quite sure what they wanted to do, but I guess the story goes there's a fortuitous occasion where a blind contact brought them into a blind association and they started talking. And I think this is kind of a typical feature of innovation is that you don't really know when it's going to happen, but when people who are knowledgeable get together and start to talk about things, then that's when the sparks fly. In this case, it was people who are knowledgeable about putting together an eyewear frame, talking to people who are knowledgeable about getting around without their sight. What do you remember best from your early days coming on board where you say that's a leap of faith? What was that like for you? That was a steep learning curve because not only did it involve learning about the specific technology and the the business opportunity but it also it was also about learning to be a startup uh, to be part of a startup to be part of a small team and have to do many many different things at once my initial leap in had more to do with exploring the funding environment putting together some some pitches and doing some customer discovery so learning about what users were wanting but startups are are a different beast from the kind of experience that I have coming in from before. So it was quite a quite a leap. And of course, what you were pitching is the LTHO one, this amazing looking smart eyewear frame. You had a sort of an obstacle course, if I'm not mistaken, from the materials you sent me, where people are putting on this smart eyewear frame. And these are folks that have visual impairments. What's happening and how is it working for them? Right, exactly. So The device itself is a pair of glasses. They have sensors that measure the distance to obstacles, and those sensors face forward. And we try to get the sensors to cover as much of the useful field of view as possible so that people are getting information about obstacles in front of them, but not too much information because that filtering is an issue. So we can filter that by narrowing the field of view to Um, approximately shoulder width plus a little bit at about one and a half meters. And of course, as you extend the the sensitivity past that range, you get a little bit more warning when you're going to run into something. But at the same time, you also get information about things you might not necessarily be so interested in. So the obstacle course was a, a creation using soft obstacles like cardboard or foam positioned in the zone above the waist. Our glasses in particular complement the white cane. So we're not providing visual information to people. We're providing them with information about location of obstacles through a vibration. So if there's something in front of them in the upper body zone where the white cane is ineffective, they'll feel it. Literally, I'll feel it through vibration on both of the eyewear arms. We were surprised actually ourselves by the kind of feedback we got, because rather, as some discoveries go, we inadvertently discovered that simple is better, (laughs) to put it very succinctly. 
a left-right feedback was enough to get people through the obstacle course relatively efficiently. And we got great comments on that. What about the aesthetics and design? So many of these medical devices are made to be effective, but not pretty. We've got something completely different here with LTH01. What were some of the aesthetic considerations? The aesthetic considerations were actually the first considerations. So while the founders, the original founders were looking around, and these are people with eyewear experience in the fashion eyewear industry. So we're not talking about smart glasses engineers. We're talking about Italian fashion design eyewear. And they went out and the first thing that they realized talking to blind people, and they brought some samples with them of glasses, is that the aesthetics, so the look of the glasses were an extremely important point. And passing the glasses around, they got comments. So this is an interesting device, but will it be available in different colors? And one of the users in particular asked, will I be able to get Zvarovsky stones on this? <laughs> so it was no small issue at all. And it actually came out to be one of our unique value propositions, if not the main value proposition of this entire project, which is to try to get something nice out of a device try to put a nice looking fashion eyewear frame with some functionality in it. Were they able to get the Swarovski stands? This is definitely possible and it really depends on the designers to do that. We've come up with a system where the sensors and the electronic modules are embedded in the eyewear arms and it leaves the front of the eyewear frame completely unencumbered by technology. So it's just like any other regular acetate frame for the front piece. In other words, this can be fun as well as functional. Exactly. We're hoping we can balance those out pretty much equally because I think this is, we've learned how important this is. I really like the pair that you show in your video. You have a colleague who's walking the red carpet in a film festival and they've got these blue frames that have stripes. What are some of the other options right now that somebody could have if they were going to be wearing one of these frames? Let's say that the third quarter of 2024 is here and now you have it here and available. What could they choose? So we're working on three different styles at the moment. And those different styles are made for different face shapes, different tastes. The sort of turtle frame pattern that you saw on the runway there was one of these. And to be quite honest, I'm not quite sure what is going to land on the market. It's going to be very much dependent on the designer. It's going to be dependent on where we source the eyewear. And I would also say it's going to be dependent on geography. For example, at the moment, we're involved in a project to get these frames on the market in Japan. And we're working with Japanese eyewear makers who are some of the world's most rigorous in terms of frame manufacturing and very designy. These are going to look amazing. I kind of got ahead of us when I said third quarter of 2024. I don't know if that's correct or not for the U.S. What is your timeline? We're looking at the first quarter of 2025 for U.S. market. So yes, a little bit ahead, but not by too much. 
and people are going to want to see this, you're going to be at CES where and when? That's correct. So we'll be at CES Las Vegas. That's from January 9th to the 12th. And we will be located in the Swiss Pavilion in the startup area. So I've seen the visual. I was actually there uh, last year. The Swiss Pavilion was like hot pink, <laughs> very un-Swiss of them, but we got lots of visitors and I wonder why. This year it will be <laughs> this year it will be a bright yellow, apparently. So look for that bright yellow pavilion with a Swiss flag. Look for bright yellow Swiss flag. This is in Eureka Park in the Venetian, is that correct? That's correct. What a great place for people to get to visit. Looking at your website, it looks like there have been all kinds of accolades for this particular product. If you had to choose one that you'll always remember, which one stands out in your mind? Oh, that's a good question. For me, the one that really stands out, when we were testing here in Lugano, so that we are based in a city in southern Switzerland, not too far north of Milan, so we've had access to testers in both northern Italy and in the rest of Switzerland as well. But we've worked with an, a local association, a blind association. And here we were able to really sort of hang out and get into the project a little bit. At the at one of these events, there was a trainer, an orientation and mobility trainer. So this is a profession that helps blind people gain mobility skills, orientation mobility skills. So typically learn to use the white cane, learn about technologies for low vision or blindness. And in this particular case, one of these trainers got quite excited after trying the glasses on by herself and said that, and this is where the other, this other sort of unique value proposition sort of came out of, is she said, you know, geez, I've tried a whole bunch of these things, and this is really the simplest device that I've ever tried. And I think that was, for us, that was a moment because we were really worried about it being too simple. And this sounds... <laughs> this may sound a little contrived, but we talk to a lot of people in technology. We talk to investors. We talk about people in the university. And everybody has very different ideas of what glasses for blind people should do. A lot of focus has been on integration of artificial intelligence, whether through computer vision or for more advanced features in terms of tracking people's behavior. But really to hear somebody say, you know, geez, this is useful. And I picked out the orientation mobility trainer in particular, but we've had the same thing sort of said, you know, through people in the various associations who are blind and need to use this in their daily lives. Actually, simple sounds like a wonderful selling point because that can be intimidating for somebody putting on new technology. Suppose someone's just starting to use this in beta. How long is it going to take them to get up and running or can they just put it on and that's it? So. We don't have the exact answers for that, but the maze test that we were performing, we were seeing, and you have to imagine the maze tests are somewhat artificial. So yes, we put some chairs around and you know things at low levels that people could pick up with their cane or with some users had a guide dog. And the upper body obstacles were safe upper body obstacles. So they actually had a chance to walk through the maze without the glasses just to make sure that they knew that they weren't going to get physically hurt <laughs> with our little experiment. So I think confidence was high and we were all having fun. But 
people were able to get through the maze by the second or sometimes even the first try. And we're talking a short maze, you know, between, I think it was, I can't remember in feet, about 20 feet, so not too long. But people were, and then we would go and try it again. We'd rearrange the obstacles and off they would go again. And people were able to really understand what was going on by the first or second try through. So now this isn't really real life. And we didn't add a whole bunch of distractions. It's not a noisy environment, but we feel confident that the, basically the vibratory feedback on the left and the right really is one of these things that is quite simple to deal with. We're not providing verbal instructions or sounds, which can often sort of add to cognitive load. So add to the amount of things, the number of things that somebody has to process. So it was really a validating experience to do these tests. What are some of the obstacles that might not occur to a sighted person that a visually impaired person or blind person has to think about? Yeah, so our initial idea was that this was going to be especially helpful for low-lying tree branches, you know, things that are on people's pathways at waist to head height that the white cane wouldn't pick up. It could also be balconies and open windows. In fact, we've ever since starting the project, we've been walking around taking smartphone camera pictures of everything that constituted an obstacle to us, according to what we've understood going through this project. But as with anything, everybody has different ways of thinking about what the technology can be good for. And we've learned that, for example, depending on the white cane technique, depending on people's travel speed, collisions with obstacles like traffic poles, so a vertical pole that may be missed by the white cane in passing, or even bicycles parked badly on the street where the cane might just slip between the wheels. These are things that people have asked about. We have even heard people say, and this was surprising to me, but perhaps not surprising at all to somebody who's blind or severely vision impaired, that this kind of device might actually be useful in a crowded space. So talking to people in Tokyo, talking to people in New York, actually, we met with a couple of people in New York, and they were saying, you know, actually, we kind of want to know, you know, when we're approaching a group of people or, or, you know, when people, for example, pass by us, they might not be paying attention to us. So that might constitute just as much as an obstacle as something stationary and inanimate. Traveling comes to mind here. If somebody's going through an airport and people are all focused on catching their plane, they may not be paying any attention. This sounds like it'd be hugely helpful in that situation. What about the beta? Are you still looking for beta testers or will you be by the time CES happens? And if so, where can people sign up? Yeah, so we definitely will be looking for beta testers. We're not ready yet. So we're expecting that the version that we'll be testing will be out in April. People will be able to sign up on our website. There is a little form for beta testing. Unfortunately, we can't make everybody happy. So again, you know, we're trying to sort of get people involved early. But luckily, our time to market is quite short at this point. So we're looking at being able to ship to the US in early 2025. We will be continuing to test with users in the States, either through associations or individually before that as well. Let's be sure and give the website where people can find out more. So yes, that's lighthousetech, all one word, dot C-H, as in Switzerland. Lighthousetech.ch.
what do you need most right now? What would make it easier to make this journey as a startup to make this a reality? So I want to say funding, but then (laughs) all startups are in a very similar position. Startups typically start out with a smaller amount of funding that gives them just enough wiggle room to sort of get things going. And then through a combination of revenue and funding, they move forward to different stages as they you know, go through different iterations and reach new markets. So of course, that's our situation as well. We're no different. But I would say more than funding, if we, there's a lot of questions that we come up with every day that go unanswered unless we can reach out to the right people. So networks are essential. They're key. Networks can be broad or, you know, we can reach out to specific people. That know-how can really bring us a long way. So there is a way to sum this up, actually, in the startup world that puts the funding and the know-how together, and that's called smart money, (laughs) literally meaning people bringing in some funding, but tied to know-how in a specific area. It might be an assistive tech, it might be a more medical technology, or it could simply be knowing how to get these out on the market into the right hands. And this is, you know, these are all challenges. Startup teams are small and we can't do everything. So building the right team and bringing in the right people with the right knowledge is great. It can also be expensive. It can be difficult. So we've relied extensively on the know-how within our networks, uh, reaching out to different associations, groups, and, you know, startup accelerators and incubators. This is really sort of the key, the key to getting a product on the market. What's one know-how related question to which you'd really like an answer right now? Okay. So if I could narrow it down to one know-how answer. I suppose it would be about the price to market and how likely this is going to influence ability for people to buy the product. So different pricing models, different ways to get it out there. So again, I mean, we've done a significant amount of talking to people and testing, but you know, just knowing you know, what people are able to do in different parts of the world definitely influences the business model. I would add one thing to that, which is that we are looking at places where these kinds of devices can be reimbursed through government programs or insurances. So this all sort of plays in. And if we could know all of that and how that's going to work right now, I would say, you know, we're... (laughs) we'd be good to go. But of course, it's a it's a long process to figure some of these things out. What's your vision for the future? If you could have anything happen five years from now with Lighthouse Tech, where would it be? Well, I think the big vision is that we bring the device really into the mainstream. So it moves from being a device which has a single simple functionality to something that might be modular, or we could have a line of products that each do something that people want. And I would say, you know, we start out in assistive tech, we start out in assistive or disability tech. And a common theme in this area and moving forward is the convergence 
of technologies that are conceptualized as, at least initially, as assistive, becoming more mainstream and used by a wider variety of users. So sort of moving beyond their initial, the initial idea to larger markets. So, and the reason I think this is important to point out is that by reaching larger markets, we also get into a scale, a situation where as assistive tech startups, we're looking really at a very specific, you know, it's a niche, but as you scale, you can bring more features for cheaper. And I think that is really what people in the assistive tech space are dreaming of. So not only me is sort of that way to scale and really bring these services to people in a way that can very much improve their lives. So for instance, you know, one way to think of this is, and this goes back to the simplicity of the product and the project, we envision that this is something that can help people into old age. So a major driver for vision impairment blindness is an aging population. And having something that can reach that population that is something that looks good, that they don't have to hide behind an ugly assisted device that they want to put on, and that works, and that's easy to understand. That doesn't take a lot of setting up. This is something that I think has driven our initial vision, and we're you know we're looking at opportunities to scale. I'm back on those Horowski crystals. I'll love to see that when those come out. <laughs> Final question for my podcast is a signature question. If people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from the work you're doing with Lighthouse Tech? Yeah, (laughs) I would say making a difference. It takes an incredible amount of innovation and creativity to make a difference, obviously. So that's my quick way out. But (laughs) to be more specific... I think we started out with a vision of making a difference, and we brought our skills to try to make a difference. And I truly believe that innovation is about making a difference. And innovation, whether it be technological innovation, a business model of innovation, or social innovation, these are eventually the ways, I believe, that startups can and will make a difference in their vertical areas. So and we all have some you know, very specific things that we're working on and we get down and dirty into our everyday problems. But that vision does have to be in the end about making a difference. Nathan, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You and I have been listening to Dr. Nathan Deutsch, co-founder, chief operating officer and innovation lead of Lugano-based Lighthouse Tech. Nathan will be showcasing Lighthouse Tech's smart eyewear at CES 2024 in Las Vegas. Show dates are January 9th through 12th. Look for him in the Eureka Park startup area of the Venetian. As Nathan mentioned, he's going to be in the Swiss Pavilion, which should be really easy to find because this year it is bright yellow. Meanwhile, for updates on Lighthouse Tech, who are planning to bring their smart eyewear to the U.S. in 2025, check their website lighthousetech.ch as in Switzerland. That's lighthousetech.ch. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. Be sure you subscribe. It's free. 
by clicking the link on our website. Our music is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.